How should we start it? Just like that. Just like this? Just like this. We always sit around and wonder, like, how should we start these episodes? And by we, I mean me. And then it's usually a half-hearted attempt at uh, being enthusiastic, and then you save the day. Well, you know what Harpoy says? You can't be getting ready. You have to be ready. You just have to be ready. You're ready. When it's go time, you're ready. Like all the time. Like all the time. And you're always going. I'm going in every direction. Thank you, coffee. This uh, That wonderful thought brought to you by coffee. Wow. Yeah. What well, is numbers on the boards? Presented, as always, by Bedgear. And Bedgear's been doing a great job, too, Skin, of uh, fueling your skin, Wade. Yep. I'm Bobby Corella. Hey, Bob. Of fueling not only our sleep, but also the All-Star campaign. Oh, yeah. And that comes to an end today. Today is Monday, January 20th. Uh, nobody else is at work today. I noticed for that. us two and then David Herr, our, uh, our tech whiz. We're at work, always, because mm-hmm. you're always ready. Always ready and always working, even on MLK Day. Yes. Uh, the Mavs and the Clippers, by the way, the only two teams not playing today. How about that? That's kind of weird. But yeah. then they get, they get the stage all to themselves tomorrow night on NBA TV, uh, which usually picks up the home broadcast, right? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Generally, that's right. Yeah, so no okay, pressure. So Just hel- the entire nation <laughs> will be watching you tomorrow. Hello, nation. Yeah. It's us. Yeah. Heart, follow well and me. Um, you know, what's interesting is I feel like a lot of the MLK Day games are Mav games. Like, I feel like the last couple of years they've played day games on MLK Day. Yeah, we play, I, I want to say, like five or six years in a row. In a row, and it's usually in the afternoon, and I know this because I'm not paying attention to my radio show. I'm watching the Mavs play hey. and just half-ass throwing out lame football opinions mm. because I'm going, oh, get to the rim. And, you know, and that red-hot kind of basketball takes yeah. in the moment. In the That's moment. the pure, raw audio. Yeah. Uh, well, you won't have to do that today. Nope. The Mavs are off. Yep. So instead, focus all of your basketball energy on Mavs.com slash all-star. Mm-hmm. Vote for Luca. Vote for KP. You can vote for up to 10 times a day, so you get eight other Mavs that you want to vote for. Uh, no LeBron, no Anthony Davis. You don't got to worry about those guys. Nah. All right? They got a whole... I haven't been following them. Who do they play with? Uh, they play for the Lakers. Okay. All uh, right. That makes sense. Yeah. And they, they, got a, they got a whole army of lifelong Laker fans since 2019 over there voting for them every day. <laughs> so don't vote for them. Just vote for the Mavs. It's yes. fine. It's all good. Yes. Um, starters will be announced on Thursday. I think that's also when they announced the captains, Okay, but I'm not sure. I don't really know uh, because, believe it or not, I, uh, Mav has never even come close to winning the vote, so this is pretty uncharted territory yeah, for man. us. Just being within striking distance of the king is pretty cool. Uh, of course, metaphorically, not literally. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I guess channel all your good luck vibes to Luca. It'd be really, really cool. That'd be a huge accomplishment because, and when he's, I say accomplishment, it's just being so pervasive in the basketball world that the whole world is voting for you when you're 20. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about there's, there's guys. I thought this was real interesting when Rondo was talking about some of the problems with the Lakers last year. And he was talking about, man, it's really difficult when your idol tells you he doesn't want you talking about guys like Brandon Ingram and Lonzo ball, who were very aware that LeBron and his team were trying to trade those guys. Mm-hmm. And those guys spent their whole lives looking up to, LeBron. Yeah. And so the reason I say it like that is so Luca's going toe to toe with that guy, huh? And that guy respects him because the people that are voting for him didn't spend their whole lives watching Luca mm. cuz Luca's life just began. This is really awesome. Yeah. This is really really incredible to just 
have a shot at that thing. Yeah, it is very cool. And then also, it's kind of cool, too, to catch yourself like getting mad about what Skip Bayless has to say about Luca. All right. And a lot of Twitter people and everything. Yeah. I mean, like, people are already starting to turn on him, which I think is pretty spicy because that means that you know he's made it. You know? it's, it's really crazy, too, because I have to, like, something has to happen for me to remember that Skip exists. Yeah. Like, he is so far off that my radar. I think. Yeah, so it's like, I didn't realize something happened until, for lack of a better term, Mab's Twitter was all up in arms. Mm. I would never, ever see what Skip is doing or saying uh, unless someone put it right from it. Did you see Skip said this? Like, <laughs> no, I did not. I had no idea Skip was saying Breathing that. on right. television. Because he doesn't mean anything he says. Mm. He's just trying to get you all upset. He's uh, basically, he's a wrestler, he's Andy Kaufman or wh whatever, mm. he's that, which is fine. It's fun to engage with that. I just, uh, I, I, the older I get, the more crotchety I get, the less tolerance I have for that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, but it's like just once he aims the crosshairs on oh. your guy, then you're yeah. like, all right, he's made it. Luca has arrived. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Uh, they wouldn't be wasting their precious airtime uh, on the new show on FS1 that they love if... It wasn't worth it. I agree. But Luca is huge. worth it. Just so him talking about you is huge. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll catch up on all the All-Star stuff next week. Uh, like I said, they announced starters on Thursday. And then next Thursday, they will announce the reserves. So if he does not start, I would be – it would probably be the biggest upset in the history of the world mm -hmm. if he wasn't on the All-Star team. Uh, I would say he's probably going to start. We'll catch up with that next week. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to hit on today, Skin, and not a lot of time, but a couple of housekeeping items real quick. Uh, this is not the only podcast on the Mavs Podcast Network. Our guy Mike Frailer on Mavs yes. Archives uh, interviewed Randy White, former Mav. Oh, cool. That launched last week. Yeah, it's a good app, a good listen. And then I, before that, he talked to Alex English, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Amazing Grace and Chuck. Yeah. Have you ever a seen that movie? Who, no, I have not. It's a player who I think a lot of people forget even played for the Mavs because he was only here for, I think, like part of one season. Basically. Yeah. Um, pretty, didn't he come over in the Fat Lever trade? Uh, yes. Yeah. It was uh, kind of like. They went from Mark Aguirre to Adrian Dantley to Alex English, like uh -huh. boom, boom, boom. Uh, all of those guys, kind of similar games, right? Yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah. My you, Alex English told the story of how he developed his crazy jump shot. Uh, guys with the real the 80s, high release. Yeah, guys in the '80s shot it pretty weird, man. And you it, know it's what, fun to hear about it. Okay, so what's kind of interesting is the Mavs and the Nuggets had a similar thing in that, at least early on. And, of course, they're tied because, you know, the, the very first player the Mavericks drafted was Kiki Vandaway. Yes. And didn't want to come here, so he was traded to the Nuggets. So the Nuggets had two what they used to call scoring forwards, mm. right? And back then, power forwards basically beat you up. Like, you know, they weren't what Dirk and KG and Weber and those guys do. It was, I'm going to set a screen, and you better not catch my elbow in your nose, bro. Mm. And I'm going to go rebound, and that's what... The glory days of basketball. Right, right. But the Nuggets and the Mavericks played with two scoring forwards so that they were kind of interchangeable. Kiki Vandaway and Alex English were not thugs, right? They were mm. smooth-type players. And in the case of Jay Vincent and Mark Aguirre, they both rebounded, but they were not rugged dudes. They, they were, were like sweet. skilled post guys. Right. And so the Nuggets and the Mavericks used to have these incredible high-scoring battles with these forwards where the guys that were lighting it up. Now they got the Mavs got Alex English later in his career, but – uh, I have a memory of going to Papa Do's on Spring Valley in 75 in Richardson very, very soon after the trade, and Alex English was there nice. having his lunch, and those were the days where, like, 
before crazy media hype so an athlete could just go have lunch at Papado's and not be bothered. Dude, that must have been so nice. Yeah. Hopefully Mike asked him about that, actually. Uh, yeah, I hope he did, too. Um, and I hope he asked See him about if he remembers him. you. And, oh, I'm sure he does. Yeah. And, and ask him about Amazing Grace and Chuck. Okay. Well, you'll have to listen to find out. I'm going to listen right on now. iTunes and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Uh, for those of you who are, uh, I guess, longtime subscribers of this show, first off, thank you. But second off, uh, we owe you an apology. It's been a while since we recorded. We have reasons. Yeah. Last week, I was in California on the Mavs road trip. And Skin, you were not. You were here uh, kind of partaking in some excellent music experiences. Yeah, okay, so I want to, uh, we'll hit this super quick, but today, I think I can say it now, because by the time people listen, it'll happen. Okay. Today on Ellen, the Black Pumas will be on Ellen. Ooh, nice. They taped it nice. last week, because yeah. they did Fallon, mm. and it was right after they came and did three sold-out shows at Dallas, and so Eric, the lead singer of the Black Pumas, was on Fallon wearing a hat that said Dallas. Oh, nice. How great is that? Dude, that's awesome. Repping our city, because yeah. we just showed them a lot of love. And I was at the first show they did, and I looked around, and I saw Julian and Jay Lim and a lot mm. of the folks here at the at the Mavericks offices because people are loving the Black Pumas uh, all over the place. Yeah. But they did – I, I want to say this because I think it's so amazing. They did uh, an in-store signing, uh, you know, and acoustic performance mm. at Josie Records, which is a big, gigantic record store, and I love that place. And there was – I went on – it was on Saturday afternoon. And there's probably about 350 to 400 people there. There's a lot of people for being at a record store. Yeah. And I saw your video. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't. All right. So you saw it. So Eric, the lead singer, came out before they went on, and he walked around and introduced himself and shook hands with every That's single cool, man. person That's cool. there. And some people brought their kids, and he got down on their level. It was That's cool. awesome. These guys are nominated for a grant. These guys are going up against Billie Eilish. Mm. And I'm watching this going, man, please never change. Yeah. Please be that person forever. Because all those people left. They liked him already. They went, and they all left thinking something special because of that connection. Yeah, you invest in the people that invest in you. Know, you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> That's why I'm uh, so invested in you, Skid. Me too, Bob. Yeah, in, in all of your success. Well, yours as well. Oh, well, hopefully hopefully I have some at some point. <laughs> but in the meantime... This podcast, bro, it's yeah, yeah. through the it's ceiling right taken now. Taken off. Yep. Uh, the ceiling is the roof. the roof. Yep, there you go. <laughs> so it's, it's all tied together. It is. Uh, okay, so we'll get into some Mavs talk here. Uh, that's why you're listening to the show, of course. Um, the last 10 games, there's been a unicorn missing. Yeah. KP's been out, right knee soreness. There was kind of a, uh, I don't even know what you call uh, Rick called it the other night. He called it an unidentified glitch or an unexpected glitch. That's the most Rick Carlisle thing to say about an injury yeah. I've ever <laughs> Especially on the heels of Eddie Johnson just calling us robots. It's yeah. like, well, okay, God, we're all just mech around here. But, uh, yeah, so KP uh, was expected to return in Sacramento. That's about a week ago today in uh, California. He takes the floor for pregame warm-ups. Just kind of feels a little weird, mm-hmm. and uh, the team decides, you know, we don't ha- we don't have to do it tonight. Of course, they turn around less than forty eight hours later. He doesn't play on Friday. I don't think anybody was expecting that to happen, frankly. Uh, but now all eyes are set on tomorrow. Um, it feels course, like it's going to happen, right? Yeah, I think it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, he went through a full practice yesterday. Uh, the team is practicing right now as we speak. So in about half an hour, forty five minutes, Rick will let us know whether he practiced again. Um, but assuming that he did today and did yesterday, I think it would be kind of weird if he did not play 
tomorrow night. Of course, things could change between now and then, but it's a big game. It's a game that you want to win and everything, so it kind of makes sense that they would try and bring him back. They've had three days off since their last game, two mm-hmm. practices. They have not had two straight practice days, I think, since training camp. So this is kind of a good opportunity to get him back. But um, Did you see Twitter angry that he uh, enjoyed himself on I a did. Saturday night? I did, man. And I was thinking – this is happening at like 11.30 p.m. on a Friday night. I'm guessing guy tweeting this is probably at a bar <laughs> drinking. So, like, should we tell his accounting boss, like, <laughs> he's drinking. He's not thinking about work right now, you know? You need to get home and crunch a calculator. Yeah, go to work, buddy. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, it'd, be, I, I, it'd be one thing if, you know, we're watching it and he keeps falling down and hitting his head on a chair because he's got vodka yeah coursing through his veins (laughs) or like he's jumping in the ring right but it looked exactly like it looks when he leaves the arena every night like it looked like really and so the thing is is people are probably aware of this these guys are rich Mm. so if they want to get on a plane and go to a fight or a concert in another city on a day where they don't have anything going on they're certainly capable of doing it and then by the way he was at practice 12 hours later yeah well and i mean las vegas is if you're on a private plane and you don't got to worry about all that crap associated with flying commercial, it's like an hour and a half flight. Yeah. And so by the time most people realize that they should be mad about KP being there, he was probably already back. Yeah. So he wasn't out in the casino all night long. But, yeah. but, uh, and I realize, you know, it's hard to relate to all this stuff uh, because of the lives us normal people lead. Well, you and I catch private planes all, all the, time. the time. So we I mean, know. But, uh, I could tell so many stories of NBA players in their 20s that would shock people. Pretty and sure Larry Bird hurt his hand in the finals from getting in a bar fight, right? Is that uh, an urban legend or is that a real story? I don't remember the Bird one. I do remember Barkley getting, you know, Barkley threw a guy through a plate gra- glass window. <laughs> yeah. um, he's so endearing. Um, but. Uh, oh my but God. but uh, I'm not going to name names. I would never name names. There is a guy on an opposing team uh, in the playoffs in the 2000s, on an opposing team that... Tim Duncan. The night before... Yes, the night before a playoff game against the Mavericks, he was leaning out of a car, passed out at 3 in the morning behind Mix on Lower Greenville, and a pool of vomit was around him. Oh, no. And the next night, he lit the Mavericks up. All right? So I, our plan I, didn't I, work. I know this to be fact. Yeah. And so <laughs> the reason I'm saying that is super crazy high-level athletes in their 20s are generally pretty resilient. So the idea that a plane flight was going to somehow push Porzingis back, I, you know, dude, there's different ways to go about different things. And I get it. If he was going vertical on a keg at 4 in the morning in <laughs> Vegas, I'd be upset probably. <laughs> But a guy jumping on a plane that has the means to do it, going and catching an event and coming back, it's really not that abnormal for rich people. They can do these sorts of things and it not slow down their regular yeah, life. Yeah, I mean, I'm being completely serious here. The time from the time he left Dallas to the time he got home is seriously almost like, because you live downtown, there aren't many movie theaters downtown. Like driving to the AMC in Addison to catch a movie and then going back home. It's Dude, like it's a about, five or six hour process. I'm going to be talking uh, Dallasites tend to going to mine and Ben's Brewery in Salina. 
it's about like that. It's an investment. Yeah. To get there from Dallas. To get there and back. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you live in Plano or Prosper, it's right. not that big a deal. But I mean, for me to go there. Sure. It would be like flying to Vegas. And I mean, not like. No, no, no. Way. You're right. It's just as rad as going to Vegas. <laughs> 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 so anyways, I understand the immediate reaction, but I, I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah, it's Especially, not a, it's you not know, a big if he's on the floor tomorrow. Yeah. And that he was back at practice the next day, I thought was yeah. hilarious because yeah. they were. And having a great practice yeah. by all accounts. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. Hopefully he's back tomorrow. But I guess more importantly than that is, um, you know, 10 games is a pretty significant chunk of the season. And coming almost immediately on the heels of Luka missing five games, or four and point nine yeah. five games. Right, right. Uh, you can kind of learn a lot about the team in that stretch. There's mm-hmm. been 18 games since the team has come back from Mexico City. Those two have been together in three of the games. So... There's been a lot of moments for other guys to kind of step up and, and, and take a lot of responsibility. So uh, what have you learned about the team or about certain players or whatever uh, in the time that KP has been out? I think uh, the thing that I've learned is that most of us have spent the vast majority of this season way undervaluing him because of statistical expectations that we attach to him. And I'll include myself in that because I was like, man, I think KP will be your leading scorer this year because Luca will create and he'll be the recipient of all that. Um, and obviously, I didn't anticipate that Luca would jack his scoring average up by seven or eight or whatever it is right now mm-hmm. and be an MVP. But th- these are all exceptional things. But I during that stretch, I felt like I watched the burden that Luca was carrying, and it was more evident than I think at any point in the season. It was a lot like last year post-All-Star yeah. break. Which when they weren't a good team and, and uh, you know, it's just, all right, Luca, just take over and be the guy. But the the ways in which he really had to work, and part of it is it coincided with the way teams are defending him and things, but, you know, you just can't – KP is such an amazing presence. And really, uh, until this little mini three-game win streak that they're on, right, what – Four games. Four games, including – I guess I need to include the game I'm talking about. During the stretch of uh, what I would just call discontent, uh, the six-game stand, there was really only one half of basketball that stood out to me as being the kind of defense this team needs to play, and it was the second half against Philly where they limited their transition stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just, but also Philly missed 30 wide-open threes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, was, yeah. That was bad. And, dude – yeah, no, no, no. That They should have been up by about 27 in the first half. Yeah. It was three-point brick after three-point brick. And they were getting some twos, but it was like offensive rebounds and transition. Yeah. It wasn't great offense. We were throwing the ball away. Yeah, the and other it, night, by the way, I think yesterday they beat Brooklyn. or I think they beat the Knicks 90-87, to 87, Philly. So, I mean, you want to talk about a team and that's struggling. Struggling there. to score. And yeah. so when you keep giving them outlet passes with your – turnovers and letting them have layups and putting Ben Simmons freight train in transition. That's bad. Yeah. So then the second half, they really locked in. They didn't turn the ball over. They turned Philly into a half court team. They turned the defensive screws. But as I was watching this, I was like, man, I had forgotten what this team can be defensively. And a big chunk of that is because Porzingis has been gone. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about frustration, probably like the rock bottom moment of the season was losing to Charlotte. They gave up 123 points to, you know, Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier. Yeah. And it was a layup line. Yeah. It's because you're really your only, like, solid interior presence. You know, Maxi, I feel like, has made his presence more felt more on the perimeter this mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. I mean, KP is the guy. 
without is, a he doubt. is the anchor he is the linchpin of this whole entire thing and so whenever you're missing him not only are you getting beat on the boards but I mean you're letting Damian Lillard get to the rim over and over again and finish over nobody right. I mean he is so important to everything that they do and so many of these close late losses where the offense just struggles and the defense can't keep anybody in front of them it's been without him Here's o- a OKC, Charlotte, Denver, all without KP. Here's a made-up stat. Maybe you have the technology to check it. All right. When KP is on the floor, teams shoot later in the shot clock in general. Ooh, that is tough. Because I could try and find it. Let me, guys, let me, let me do some. Let me yeah, do yeah, some yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I realize it's a, if all, first of all, it's a bold claim. It's a bold, unsubstantiated claim. Mm. But... Uh, but what happens is, is when you turn it, like you're talking about the layup line, when you turn the corner and you know that's there, you start making alternate decisions and creating alternate paths with your dribble and thinking about two or three seconds ahead. And it just, it just makes the possessions tougher in general. So um, that, and, it, and it's different than a Boban presence because Boban doesn't move like Porzingis. So it's an entirely different approach to playing half-court offense when he's he's there because they all know he's there. The best that I can do without really, like, you know, disappearing for five minutes to figure this out is when KP's on the floor this season, opponents are shooting 43.4%, which is the lowest mark of any player on the team. How about that? Whenever he's off the floor, opponents are shooting 46.7%, which is – the worst mark of anybody on the team, <laughs> or I guess the the most favorable, meaning every other no other player has that level of defensive impact on the team, and teams are shooting forty eight percent on twos whenever he's on the floor. Generally speaking, your average NBA team is going to shoot way above fifty percent on twos because it's all layups. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he literally single handedly is the reason that they're even like remotely good on defense. Yeah. And, and, and that's not a fault of anybody else. I mean, you design a, a de, you design your whole system around one guy. Yeah. Whenever he's out, you're not going to change everything you do. I mean, Look, if like, you're he's gonna, the guy. If you're going to boil down the Portland win, isn't it because of the stops they got in the fourth quarter? Yes. And so it's like, you know, it's exciting to see what Luka can do offensively, and it's exciting to see Porzingis shoot from 30 feet so effortlessly, and the role guys and all this stuff. But Tim Hardaway Jr. has just been so good this year. All that stuff is exciting. But, man, if you can get stops at the end of a game, you're going you're gonna to win some games. Like, I always think about those Mavericks-King series in the early 2000s. Mm. It almost always came down to who got a stop or two in the final minute. Mm. Almost always. Because both teams just light it up and then – zero in in that final couple minutes can we get some effing stops yeah and when especially when you're protecting the lead i mean the mavs you know the the charlotte game the okc game the denver game there have been a million of those losses this season not a million there's they've only lost like 10 times but uh if you're protecting a lead late you can win it two ways you can score or you can get a stop and if the offense is struggling the defense has to be good but they just have not been even in the wins even against portland even against sacramento right late in the games Guys are getting to the basket. They're just they're getting offensive rebounds because they're desperate to score. They just have not had the chops to stop them. And KP is the eraser. God, Jamal Mosley wants KP back so bad, dude. Every yeah, yeah. I say because he is our uh, defensive coordinator, yeah. so to speak. I mean, the their numbers stuff. with him and without him, it's it's undebatable. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no there's no comparison. It's 
he's as valuable to the defense as what I've learned in the last 10 games is that Porzingis is as valuable to the defense as Luka is to the offense. Man, when you started to say that, I was like, right on, brother. I wish I would said that myself. And maybe even more. Yeah. Because without Luka, they beat Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> now, I if mean, you're going to make every three-pointer you take, that's a good way to yeah. beat Milwaukee. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, right. for sure. But at the same time, I mean, like, you're talking about late game stops, but yeah. even just in the in the flow of a game, I mean, I, I think it was the Houston game earlier this year, for example, that game was like ragtag, up and down, just mm-hmm. a track meet. And there were a couple times whenever it was like a two-on-one or a two-on-two, and Porzingis just wiped out a layup attempt. Mm-hmm. And that two points in the second corner might not matter until the there's end. one minute left in the game, yeah. and you're down by one. Right. And suddenly it does matter a it whole lot. It matters you know? a lot. And there's so many of those plays that – you know, just might not seem like they mean a lot in the moment that he makes, contest a shot, intimidates a shot, all of that stuff that just really adds up throughout the course of a game. And so uh, get well soon. Hopefully it's back tomorrow. But uh, this is one thing that I learned about them while he was out is that continuity matters a lot. Mm -hmm. So the Mavs this season, their most played lineup has played 199 minutes. And they've played 42 games over half the season. So that means if that's that, not a lot, that's not a lot at all. Wow, that that's shocking. That, to yeah, me. that's very, very low. That's very low. By comparison, Denver's most used lineup has played 577 minutes. The Rockets' most used lineup has played 347. Holy cow! The Jazz have two lineups that have played at least 250 minutes, and that's including Mike Conley's injury that sidelined him for like half the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best teams except for, like, the Clippers, who are doing the same thing that the Mavs are, right. just without one guy or the other. Right. The best teams all have lineups that have played a ton of minutes. Do you, I mean, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Mavs have played 40 minutes, so do some math. If that group had played in every single game, then 40 minutes, 200, 40 games, 200 minutes, that means that they're averaging, like, five minutes a game together. That's their most used lineup. Do you want to know what their third most used lineup is this season? Man, I'm just going to guess 100 minutes or something. No, they've played 70 minutes together. <laughs> And that group was the starting lineup that played while Luca was out for five games. Right. They have played zero minutes since, and they've played zero minutes before. Wow. Their third most used lineup was the group without Luca. They're doing some makeshift. They are. And their second most used lineup is the lineup that they've been playing without KP. God, I'm immediately just I, – I didn't track it closely, but I know the scenario. I'm just immediately thinking about what Carlisle had to do the year that he lost – Ron Artest, Jermaine O'Neal, and Steven Jackson for Dude. the majority of the season. And they season. made the, the playoffs. playoffs. They might have even won a series. They didn't win a series, did they? I don't they? recall. Might have to go back and look that yeah. up. But, dude, I mean, that's incredible to me that, that their third most used lineup this season was the one where they were missing Luka for five games. That's extraordinary, man. And that, that just kind of shows not, I mean, the first half. Are they fifth half, in the conference today? Uh, they are fifth, yeah. And they're like two games out of second. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. But And, uh, by the way, now that they are through kind of – well, they got another tough game tomorrow. but uh, And they still have the Jazz, I think, three times. But they have, I want to say, the fifth easiest schedule remaining God, in the NBA. God, get healthy and start eating, baby. Yeah. Or, no, they've had, sorry, the fifth toughest schedule to this point. Mm-hmm. Their schedule the rest of the way is easy relative to the West. But it's funny, like, the 10 of the 11 easiest strength of schedule remaining are all Eastern Conference teams. Oh. But, Skin, the East is good this the year. The East is good Remember, the East is good. Yeah. It's just every team has a really easy schedule. Right, right. Uh, but, it's, it, but the East is good. But, uh, yeah, that, that to me has stood out most of all is that, you know, things were 
kind of finally, you know, the first 10, 15 games, we talked about it all the time. Rick was just sort of like tinkering, putting new guys in. You know, Tim was coming off the bench, then he was starting. You had Jalen Brunson starting. DeLon was starting, and then he wasn't, then he was and then he wasn't. Uh, every, JJ would like randomly appear, yeah. just <laughs> pop up out of the blue. Things kind of finally uh, settled down and sort of became predictable and comfortable and typical in, the, in Mexico City. Yeah. And, of course, the next game after that, Luka goes down, and then they play three games, and then KP goes down. And so, like, all of that tinkering has continued and continued, and then, you know, hopefully tomorrow things will kind of return to stasis, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, I, they've, they've made it work. They've made it work. This is – they're still so far ahead of where I thought they were going to be right now. Uh, and then when you factor in the injuries and stuff, I'm very, very happy – with the direction this thing is going. And the primary reason, uh, you know, we can talk all we want about the leap that Luca made and Porzingis' impact on defense, and I'd be lying if I said I knew it would be that significant. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know he's a good shot blocker and very high block percentage and those things matter, but wasn't sure about his rebounding and different things. I didn't realize he would really tie this thing together in the way that he has. But t- for me personally, the story of this season is Dorian, Maxie, and Tim. Mm-hmm. Because the strides that Maxi and Dorian are your two most important role players because of the things that they can do and do them while not slowing down the offense in any way. That was my fear going in is, all right, too many of our guys are one thing or the other. And those two guys being valuable, functioning offensive players and then doing all the defensive and rebounding and intangible stuff that they do – That's, to me, the story of the season because that's where you go from, all right, I think Luka can get us to the seven spot of, hey, you guys want to host a playoff series in the first round? It really is because of those other guys. And I think that everybody went into this season with the thought that, all right, maybe Tim can get you some points off the bench. But, you know, to me it's the Monte Ellis thing all over again where everybody was looking at the wrong context for the guy. And I just know from talking to people last year when they got Tim, you know, when you would talk to people on the staff and stuff, they said, well, when we get Tim healthy, when we get Tim healthy, and, you know, we're just watching this going, I mean, I only played like nine or ten games last yeah, year when very, the stress fracture happened. Yeah. But you look at his previous numbers on teams that weren't good, and they're bad numbers. Just like you would look at Monte's numbers on – mediocre teams go, well, that guy, he's not an efficient offensive player. Well, wait till a talented guy plays in the right situation. Mm -hmm. And Tim Hardaway Jr., physically, he's the right size for a two-guard. Athletically, he can do the right kinds of things. And his shots, he doesn't have to take a bunch of hard shots. And so in his first couple shots, he's got – I mean, the other night, Harp was talking about his – you know, dribble and pull up release looking Ray Allen-esque, mm. which it kind of does. It looks what, confident. It looks the fact confident. that he's willing to shoot the ball, I think that means more than anything is that he's just – there are so many guys in this team that have to be wide open to shoot. And Tim's willingness to create his own shot and just take tough shots is very valuable. It's valuable. and But if your first couple shots aren't tough shots, then it's the floodgates are open. Yeah. And so playing with Luca, and then once Kristaps comes back, I mean – he is so – I mean, part of the story this year is him settling in as a starter. Mm. And uh, I just I, – I, we spend so much time talking about Luka, and then we're not talking about Luka, we're talking about KP. But to me, the story of the year is those three guys. And that's not to say anything 
less about Dwight or Seth or Jalen or all these guys that matter. But I look at the shape of this thing, and I keep thinking about those three guys and what they've meant. Yeah, I mean, you need whenever, – whenever you're talking conceptually about building a team around Luka, you say, okay, we want someone to protect the rim, who's Porzingis, and then we right. want 3 and D wings, right? And if you were making a list of the top 3 and D wings, there's probably like 10 or 15 of them in the NBA, and two of them are on the Mavs, mm-hmm. Kleba and Dorian. And it helps that Maxi can also defend the rim too. But Don't you love that you're talking about Kleba as a 3 and D wing? Yeah, but he is. Yeah. I mean, look at – watch the way that he just swallows up guys when they try and take him one-on-one. I mean, Bro, he took out Fox pa- did it. and He took out Pascal Siakam. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he destroyed Siakam. But then the other night too, I mean, C.J. McCollum, before he went down, tried to take Maxi, And all these guys – get switched on to him. They're 6'2 guards that are quick and think, this is a mismatch. This yeah. guy's a 6'10 stiff. They even do that. I'm going to dribble it all the way back out to midcourt and be all demonstrative, like, get out of the way, get out of the way, and then dribble 17 times and throw up a 15-foot brick because he just locks me down. Yeah. He does that all the time. But, I mean, they're very, they're very, very good. Dorian obviously is good. His development as a three-point shooter has been really big, but there's only – qualified in terms of minutes played there's only 16 guys in the nba this season that shoot at least 37 percent on threes and have a positive defensive box plus minus so like meaning they they are valuable on defense Mm -hmm. and this list is guys like uh pj tucker danny green chris middleton og ananobi basically the entire raptors roster joe ingles (laughs) but then dorian and maxi I mean, they're, they're seriously, like, I'm not joking. There's, like, seven Raptors, which is insane. Yeah. But that's, that's why they're winning games. A, when you have a team of interchangeable guys. Yeah, right? pretty yeah. much. But, I mean, Dorian and Maxi are on that list. So, there, it's been a very long time since they've had anybody when, able when, to say that. When we went, I was, when I was still at the fan and we were doing season previews and, hey, if you could have any kind of player, you know, what would it be? And I was like, man, if I could have a 3 and D guy that was shooting about 37% from three, I'd be ecstatic. Yeah, that's above average. Yeah. 37% is above average. They and, have two of them. Yeah, and and uh, I just their development and their being exactly what we're describing has made me rethink going, all right, what do the Mavericks need? Yeah, and I, I got that written down, so hold okay. that thought. Sure, hold sure. Hold that thought. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about Tim first, too. Okay. So since becoming a starter, he's averaging 16 and a half points. Mm-hmm. He's shooting 47% from the field, 43% from three. It's a 59.5 effective field goal percentage. So if you narrow it down, okay, who this season is averaging 16 points on a 59% effective field goal percentage? How many people do you think are doing that qualified? Oh, man. Um, not many. I mean – that that shoot, I've, I forget what I did. I think like at least three uh, threes per game. So oh, okay. it eliminates like centers and that are only dunking. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, God, I wouldn't think there's more than twenty of those dudes. There are two. Oh my God, really? Towns and Giannis. I mean, I knew Giannis would be in there, and I yeah. I didn't think about Towns. Yeah, Towns is in there. He's qualified, even though he missed a lot of time, but he plays a ton of minutes. Um, so players, I thought, all right, well, that's not really fair because Giannis isn't very good at threes and Towns is a center. So how can I kind of like level out the playing field a little bit? So I changed the filter to 16 points per game, 55 effective field goal percentage. So lower that yeah. threshold a little bit. And then say you have to take at least five threes a game. So these are high volume players, most likely going to be wings because that's a lot of threes and also a lot of points. How many people do you think have done that? Um, Towns and Giannis are also in there, by the right, way. Right, right. But lowering it to 55. Like, um, do you think it's more or less than 10? I guess I'm going to say it's – I would guess right. I mean, my original guess was 20, so I guess I'll lower it to 10. It's under 10. 
So it's Towns Giannis. And then stop me when you hear a player that you would not want to have on the team mm-hmm. like 12 months ago. Chris Middleton, Danilo Gallinari, Evan Fournier, Jalen Brown, Devin Booker, Bojan Bogdanovich. And, I take all those and dudes. And Tim Hardaway. Wow. I mean – He's the guy we needed yeah. all along, and nobody realized we had him. Yeah. I mean, the plan was to bring him off the bench, which I thought was a great idea. I did, too. No, you thought it was a great idea because I figured that guy could destroy backups. Mm-hmm. But it turns out he can destroy starters, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but, but, again, it's like it, 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 so much of this has to do with the context of what's happening on the floor and who you're playing with. Yeah. Who is the best playmaker that Tim Hardaway Jr. has played with? The same guy who's the best playmaker that KP has played with. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here going, Trey Burke in college? I, you know, it's like, yeah. what, what, you know, and it just matters so very much to have opportunities. And, and so we get in, like, I get into this other thing. I heard some guys talking about whether or not Bradley Beal was a good defensive player. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm certainly not going to watch the Wizards play in the last couple of years to determine whether or not Bradley Beal is a good defensive player. Mm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go, first of all, is the person capable of being a good defensive player? What are his physical tools? Number two, what is the attitude of the player? What you'll find in most in NBA seasons is teams that aren't very good, don't have guys – especially high-caliber offensive players, selling out on defense to win 25% of your games. It just doesn't happen. Mm. It's not an indictment of the guy. You know what my memory of Bradley Beal in defense is? Do you remember the first? He shut down Luka on opening night. Because he made it a priority. He, that talented all-star player, made it a priority. Mm. So if you're telling me Bradley Beal is or isn't a good defensive player, dude, I've seen him be a good defensive player. He's capable. Now we go to attitude and context and all those things. So the reason I bring that up is, is a guy physically capable of doing the things and the role that you're asking him to do? And so while everyone forgot about the stuff that Tim Hardaway Jr. can do, he's physically capable of doing all of this stuff. Mm. Now he's in the place to do it and he's delivering. Yeah. And I mean, I don't blame people for not feeling that way because frankly, my expectations weren't very high for him coming into this season. I, I thought, thought he was going to be a, good, a gunner be a off good the bench. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And shoot 40% from the field and some nights win you games and sometimes maybe doesn't help you at all. And take some shots from like, really? But yeah, I mean, I thought he was going to gun like Jamal Crawford yes. kind of guy. Just yes. some nights great. Sometimes he's not, but absolutely. Uh, but that's because there's never been a situation in his career that he's really shown he can be a consistently good player. But right. he, he is now. He is now. I mean, and I'd like been, to remind everybody. There have been many nights where they don't win without him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like oh, they, God, don't win, yes. they don't beat Portland without him. No, no, no. You're right. And, uh, and also there's been a couple games where he set the tone by taking advantage of great opportunities in the first quarter. Yes. Yeah, so he's he's kind of Josh Howard. There was right? a play. I think it was the Portland game. There was a play where Luca was going to his right above the arc. And there was a screen to his left, and they were flooding Luca. And Tim's man cheated over off of him, and Tim took one half step to the right, just one half step, and that made it to where you couldn't close on him. Luca saw it, made the pass, wide open three. Mm. And it's it's a subtle thing, right? Like if you're watching the game, you're probably not watching the positioning the guy is doing to know, okay, he can't close out from there, so I'm going to go here. And, and those are all really subtle things about learning how to play off one another. Mm. Tim took – a lot of guys will stand there and wait for the ball. Tim took one little half step to ensure and then started getting his feet ready. It's the most important thing about he's catching always, He's always ready to shoot. Get your you feet ready. 
And so when that ball got there, it was up wide open, knocked down a three. Mm. And it's, it's taking advantage of those opportunities. And when you play on a team without a playmaker, those opportunities aren't there. And suddenly you're doing a lot of shaking and man, I, I got squeeze in one more move. And then you're taking a contested 20 footer mm. and he doesn't have to do that. As yeah, much. Now he's got two months of experience with Luca yep. and you know, will he shoot 43% on threes the rest of the year? Probably I don't not. know. I Probably mean, that's, not. that's like top 10 in the NBA level. It's Kyle good. Korver stuff. Right? Yeah. So am I going to blame the guy if he doesn't do that? No, but he's very good in the mid range. He attacks the basket, runs the floor in transition, does work hard on defense. He gets beat. Everybody gets beat, but the effort is there constantly from him on defense. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, he's turned into a hugely positive player. So that kind of Maxi Dorian and Tim rising, Tim being this third scorer, shooter, ace shooter guy, and then Maxi and Dorian becoming 3 and D wings have kind of like addressed the needs that we thought the team had coming into the season. But with all of this, you know, 42 games worth of knowledge, I guess real quick, trade deadline is coming up in two weeks. I want to ask you two very specific questions, mm -hmm. and then one kind of general question. Okay. So this is the first two questions, no subtext implied. I'm not – don't think of a specific player. Like, don't think of John Doe. Mm -hmm. I just want you to give me a quality. You got right? it. So with no subtext implied, knowing what you know, seeing what you've seen about this team, what do the Mavericks need that they can realistically add? Um, a quality I, or a type of guy, whatever. I think that what they can realistically add – is probably not a needle mover. So um, I'm saying that to say I don't think anything's going to happen. However, mm. what I think a quality they need more than anything is a guy, a veteran head that knows how to make plays at the end of the game. They need a guy that's won a lot of games that can impart that knowledge to these other guys because I think there's tremendous value in young teams experiencing success and going deeper in the playoffs, even if they're outmatched or whatever. I mean, I always think about the first year Dirk and Finn and Nash made it and actually beat the Jazz. Mm. Different era, five-game series, all these things. But it just changes the way you feel about yourself, and it changes the experience, and it gets you that experience and knowledge faster. Like, I don't think the Mavericks are one of the three best teams in the West. Mm. But I think they could possibly compete. Not possibly. I know they can compete yeah. and then experience success. And then, God, who knows? And what if that team experiences some misfortune and a guy goes down for the remainder of the series and suddenly the doors open? Yeah. And so those things, to get to that position, I just think you need a veteran head that's still capable of giving you 15 minutes a night, uh, that has maybe a little bit of playmaking, a great defensive player, and a guy that's going to make a play in a game an important game that young guys aren't going to make or you're going to go Someone holy. to help you close out games, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, as we all know, is probably the biggest Achilles of this team right now. Right. Um, okay. Uh, with no subtext implied, in what area does this team not need to improve that you maybe thought would have been uh, something they needed to address a month ago? Um, or two months ago or three months ago? Like, where, where are they good? I Well, I'll put it to you like this. I uh, For the reason that you said Toronto's got 103 and D guys, I'm always down for that. Mm. I don't feel like it's a glaring need anymore. Yeah, they got a lot of shooting, man. Yeah. They got a lot of shooting. Yeah. Uh, so, and then intercha what, what we would call interchangeability and, you know, flexibility on the floor. I just, I wanted more of that going into the season, and now I don't, I mean, I'll take it. 
just like shooting. Oh, you're going to give me another shooter? I'll take it. Mm. Uh, but now I don't feel like they need it. I, I think the thing that they need more than anything would be a versatile, big, gigantic body. Like, I love Boban. I love what he does. But, you know, there's certain games that he just can't play in because of the speed or the, you know, the way that he reacts to things. Physically, a lot of things he can't do. So is there a guy physically that can't get bullied, you know, but then can play in any game situation? I don't know that they have that. I don't think there's I don't know a, how many guys there are that are right. like that, though. And, yeah. and, and everyone keeps bringing up, you know, there's a center that's on the trade market and he's a high-paid guy. Why don't we go get that guy? And I'm going, oh, yeah, I'd love to have that guy. I'm not going to give up what it takes to get him to add to this team. Mm. I mean, I, yeah, give me the other awesome guy. But – you don't have the trade assets and the flexibility to do it without giving up something that really, really matters to this team. Mm. And so I don't think that that's worth it. Yeah, and so that leads that. To, the, to the final question is, obviously, in order to trade for someone, you have to give something up, too. So do you think that they – I guess a two-part question before we get out of here. Do you yeah. think they will make a move, and do you think they should make a move? And you can answer that in yeah, any Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought order. they – a month ago, I thought they were going to make a move. Me too. Like, I was very confident that there was a guy that was out there that they were going to get. Mm. And I think that that team probably was asking for too much. And I think the Mavericks said, we don't really need to give up too much. So, when they come down, we'll pounce. Mm. I think that's still in play, but we'll see how it all shakes down. Uh, but you, it's, it's – I don't – I think for that reason, it's kind of hard to predict what others want to do. I don't think they're going to make a move. Mm. Um, I think they should. I guess like if the trade deadline passes and they didn't, you wouldn't be surprised. No, I basically. wouldn't be surprised. Okay. Now I'm kind of expecting them to not make a move. Mm. Where a month ago I thought they were going to do a specific thing. Yeah. And it, and it didn't materialize. So, um, but I, I would love to add that, for lack of a better term, that veteran head. Because mm. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I feel good that they have a very good chance to host in the first round. Mm. I feel good about that. And once you get there, you know, as much as I love Dorian and Maxie, those guys ain't played NBA playoff basketball. Yeah. I suspect that they'll be good because of the kind of character of the guys and they don't get overwhelmed and, you know, they believe in themselves. But you don't know until you, you don't know. know until you get there. And there are a few guys. I, there's a there are a few veteran players that may or may not be on the trade market that I think kind of check off those boxes. So mm -hmm. we'll see if they if they do any of that. There's also even free agents. Like I mentioned, Jamal Crawford earlier. He's a free agent. Hey, man, it's very it's, weird that no one signed him yet. His best work is happening on Twitter. It's yeah. crazy. Man. <laughs> yeah, it's he's, really he's crazy. really on there. But uh, but yeah, there's a there's a few guys available. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. That's on what February seventh, I think, or February sixth. I think that's so right. So we're right about two weeks out. Yeah, uh, two it's and a half. It's the Thursday weeks. before the All Star break, right? Okay. Yes, I, right? it's it's two weeks from this Thursday. Yeah. Okay. So whatever date that is. Yeah. Uh, so the the clock is ticking. Things are heating up a little bit. There have been some moves, the Jeff Teague trade, but all in all, it seems like it might kind of be an underwhelming trade deadline. But you I never know. So. You never Things know. come out of right, nowhere. Right, we right. never would have thought Porzingis would be dealt either, and uh, here we are. Yep. Um, okay. Skin parting shots before we get out of here. Um, well, uh, let's just hope we get some good news on Thursday. I think we all collectively would be a huge boost for this team. Mm. Uh, you know, be. for It'd everybody, really cool. for Luca to be like him and Giannis being the captains. Oh, yeah. man. Give or even just being a starter. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Right. being there. I'm, I'm aiming too high, but yeah. I do want him being a captain There's injected directly into my veins. The spiciest thing of all would be if LeBron has the number one pick. Even cooler, I think, than Luca being a captain is LeBron having the number one pick and having to choose between Luca and AD. 
because he's gonna it feels take like AD. one of the, yeah you he's think gonna so? take AD because so then would he honestly take Luca then? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, Luca's probably uh, like it's Luca and Harden. Those are probably the best players that are going to start. And in then either, we, and Kawhi. I mean, like, I, maybe you take Kawhi I think, over him. I think Giannis takes Luca, so we can start all the oh my god, when is Giannis's contract up? Stuff <laughs> yeah. that everybody does whenever these. But things then if happen. Giannis takes AD, it's the same thing. It's if Giannis same, takes oh my Kawhi, god, it's the same thing. AD's gonna opt out this summer. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. It's gonna man. be crazy. I mean, like, does someone take Luca before Kawhi? Does someone take Luca before AD? Uh, like, you're does right. Does someone take someone... Luca before Harden or Trey Young or anything? I mean, like, it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. And yeah. I, frankly, I, I'm, maybe I'm an idiot, but it doesn't seem like like Kawhi, AD, and Luca are probably your three biggest names that are starters. Yeah. Right. I, who else in the East? Who are the forwards in the East? I mean, like, I haven't been paying Jason attention. Jason Tatum, I think, will probably is, end up starting. Is Derrick Rose starting in the All-Star game? I don't know. As, as mu- as, wait. Honestly, this year he kind of <laughs> deserves it more than some of the guys as, that might make As the much team. better as the East is than normal, there ain't a lot of star power out there, brother. Yeah, a lot of it is in the West still. Ain't a lot of star power a out there. A lot of it is in the West still. But we'll see. It's going to be good TV on Thursday night, and yep. we'll be back with you next week to talk all about it. Of course, that and much more. Uh, catch the game tomorrow night if you're in market on Fox Sports Southwest. If you're not, you can listen to Skin on uh, NBA TV. Hello, friends. Again, no pressure. None. The whole world will be watching. It's going to be very relaxed. My approach to pressure is the same as Steven Jackson's and Dirk's, and you can look up the quote. Oh, you can say it, man. Just, can I? Just turn on some... Uh, turn on some... Some Barry White. Uh, yeah, some Barry <laughs> White or some ah. Lionel Richie. You know, get some, get some hello going. And uh, and just make love to that. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> right not. All right, uh, it's numbers on the boards. We're out of here. See you. See you.